Hey guys, it's me, Michael Garrison, DO and PGY1 Neurology Resident. This week on Dear DO, we have had some technical difficulties. It was bound to happen eventually, right? Well, anyway, majority of this week's interview with Dr. Gunnar Orcutt, DO and PGY1 Surgery Resident is here, and I'm so excited for you to listen. I'm just going to have to get you up to speed real quick on what you missed out on. Gunnar is, well, he's a gunner, at least... I think so. He was one of the major influences on my success at DCOM, and he's just all around a great guy. He's from small town Nebraska, and he played football at Peru State College during undergrad. He opened up about how DO school chose him and how even though he didn't choose DO school, he fell in love with DCOM from the very start. You missed us musing about the very limited food options in Harrogate, but either way, Gunnar says that he felt at home there. For the rest of the episode, enjoy how Gunner became such a, well, Gunner, as well as talking about residency, intern year as a surgery resident, couples matching, and so much more. So Dr. Gunner Orcutt graduated medical school in 2022 at LMUDCOM in Harrogate, Tennessee. He then moved to Columbia, South Carolina with his now wife, after couples matching at Prisma Health for Gen Surge Residency, which is a fully accredited five-year training program. At the point where the recording picks up, I asked Gunnar about how he started medical school off on the right foot. And just for some background, at DCOM, there is an anatomy boot camp where students can go before classes start, right before first year starts, and you can go learn anatomy on real cadavers and basically learn the whole anatomy course before classes even start. So that is where Gunnar's story begins, and I hope you enjoy. Yeah, so basically I had, I went to my TA boot camp and I said, okay, who's the smartest person in your class who's here? And they all said Morgan. And I'm like, okay, well, who's this Morgan guy? And so I, you know, they pointed me over to him and I'm, I walked up and I'm like, okay, man, you got to tell me how to do it. Just whatever you did, I want to know. And he said, well, you know, I have this Anki deck that I got from Yo and, you know, just follow that. And I'm like, okay, well, that's absolutely terrifying that I'm going to rely completely on flashcards to learn everything that they're teaching me. Yeah. And so I, I said, okay, well, yeah, I'll use the Anki cards, but I'm going to do some other stuff too. And so I would go to each lecture, I'd annotate my lectures and I'd make a one page handoff of like, wow, here's, you know, the top 20 things from the lecture. And then I would do the Anki cards. Well, then, you know, three, four weeks in, I had... I'd filled like three notebooks of stuff. I'm like, I'm never actually looking back at these. I'm just doing these donkey cards. Okay, well, let's just try it. And so I was like, well, we're going to take this test as a, you know, a sample run. And I just did donkey cards only. Like didn't look at a book, didn't look at anything, just did donkey cards and went to lecture and kind of just paid attention to lecture. And I walked into that test thinking 100% I was going to fail this thing. I'm like, well, you know, <laughs> I, yeah, this is bad. Um, and so walked out of there thinking I did okay and did really, really well. And I was like, well, okay, if it worked for this test, you know, I guess it'll work for the next one too. And so I just kept going yeah. and kept doing the same thing. And every day I would do my Anki cards and every night I'd be like, well, I hope I learned enough. And I'd walk into every exam thinking I hadn't learned enough. Um, and it, you know, it actually worked out, but you know, it honestly taught me consistency. And I think that was kind of the key. And I think that's what, most people in didactic years need to figure out is that this is a marathon. I mean, you can learn the stuff the night before the exam. It's possible. Um, I know plenty of my classmates did, and they did very well. 
but I would do little short tidbits of it every day. You know, I would do flashcards from the lecture, flashcards from the previous lectures. But like, I was never really stressed and come the night before exam day, I wasn't cramming because it was like, well, if it wasn't in the flashcards, I don't know it, but I know every single thing in those flashcards. Yeah. And, you know, I was okay with that. But it kind of prepared me for dedicated because dedicated is a marathon, not a sprint. And, it, you know, every day you would show up to dedicated, you know, studying, studying, studying. And, you know, if you try to do all of cardiology in one day, you are absolutely going to burn out. Yeah. It's not feasible. You know, while it did prepare me for the classes, like studying every day, it was honestly preparing me for boards and started preparing me for, you know, just that grind that is dedicated. And so I guess my advice would be just don't try to build Rome in one day. Take each day kind of as a, a stepping stone. Okay, get better each day. You know, get 1% better. Get, you know, learn a little bit more each day because you're not going to learn it all. Yeah, I agree. You know, that consistency mindset. When I was an undergrad, I would cram and I would have full-blown panic attacks before the exams. Like, hands down, every single time, sobbing, hyperventilating, like, I'm going to fail this test. And what changed for me going into medical school was that consistency from the start. So if you're doing these Anki cards every single day, that's how the Anki algorithm is made. It's made to do every single day. It's a spaced repetition model. You have to do it every day in order for it to work. That took so much load off of me mental-wise. Like, okay, I just know that I got to get through these cards and that's my day, right? That's all that I need to do. Everything else is extra. If I want to go down a rabbit hole after I'm done on, you know, craniosynostosis, then I can do that. But having that consistency factor made it so that the night before the exam during medical school, I was watching Grey's Anatomy. I was not hyperventilating. I was not freaking out. I remember waking up feeling so well rested. I would look over my little study guide that I would make the weekend before the exam. And I straight up would come out of the exam feeling like I cheated because of Anki. Absolutely. Because like it it trains you to almost have a photogenic kind of memory. Yes. And so I would see the answers in my head while I'm on the exam. And I'm like, this feels wrong. I feel like I'm cheating, but you're not. It's just like magic. I feel the exact same way. I remember, you know, specifically, so I was on the fire department in med school and, you know, there was a fire call on a Sunday night at like 8 p.m. You know, we had a test the next day and, you know, I was over at my now wife's house and we were all studying and I'm like, well, I got to go. She goes, but we have a test tomorrow. And I'm like, well, yeah, but I got to go. And so she's like, well, aren't you going to study? And I'm like, well, I was kind of done anyway. And so I went to the fire and, you know, was at the fire until like 11 or so, came back home, showered, went to sleep. And the next day, the professors were like, hey, you know, you guys can have a delay if you really want. And we're like, most of us were like, no, we're, we're okay. Like, let's just take it. Just send it. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to study any differently in that next two hours. I'm not going to change any of my answers. You know, if I don't know it, if it wasn't in those flashcards, it's not in my brain. Yeah. And like you said, like pulling things up photographically, I can almost remember like questions where I'd close my eyes and be like, that was word for word in a flashcard that I read. I don't know why I'm putting C as the answer. I just know that it's right. Yeah. Um, It was crazy. That's so real. Yeah. And I I think that that happened for me for boards too. I mean, Comlex and USMLE are very different tests. Comlex is very much like 
you can use Anki a lot for it because it is such a black and white test. Like you either know it or you don't move on, don't waste time kind of thing. And USMLE was a little bit more like critical thinking wise. But I think where a lot of students fall short when it comes to Anki is they're not asking themselves why and they're not kind of digging a little bit deeper to think about, okay, this is the Anki card. How could how could the professor make a test question on this, right? Absolutely. So you have to be like balancing both of those. And, you know, it's easy for us to say, oh, just do Anki and you're going to be fine because it worked for us, right? But I think that we were probably subliminally or subconsciously making those connections and that's why it worked so well for us. For sure. And, you know, augmenting that with practice questions and you know where you do your Anki cards and you start doing practice questions early and you start seeing different ways that that same question could be asked and then you're like oh this card makes more sense because you know whatever if someone overdoses on a beta blocker you give them glucagon sure like you can memorize that fact but until you read a question that okay this person comes in you know their heart rate's super low their blood pressure's low you realize that they took levetolol like you're not going to put together the you know, the clinical symptoms or any of that until you actually read the question. And then you're like, yeah. oh, this random factoid that makes zero sense otherwise kind of fits a picture. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's how like you solidified it. And, you know, I would start practice questions early, even if I didn't know, you know, I'd get them wrong. You know, I'd start my blocks and just get wrecked on questions. <laughs> and then, you know, by the end, it's like, oh, yeah, I know all of these facts. I can tell you why B is wrong, C is wrong, D is wrong. Okay, it has to be A. I think you brought up a great point too, is going through process of elimination is really big for practice questions. And then what helped me a lot that I didn't do in undergrad was going through practice questions. And after I'm done with that practice question, going through and saying, okay, the answer was A, but how can I make the answer B, like what would they have to have said in the question stem that would have made B or C right rather than A and going through that kind of systematically after you review. Absolutely. And, you know, that's so important. And just, you know, that's one of the things that I think it's a blessing and a curse of UWorld because you can absolutely get bogged down in doing that because there's so much in UWorld. Yeah. But if you can just at least pull something out of there, like, okay, you know, the most common cause of otitis media is, you know, strep pneumo. Well, if you can remember that fact, and then you look at a question that doesn't have strep pneumo as the answer and is looking for the second choice, well, if you can remember any of those other options from that question, you're probably going to get the question right. Right. And it's just learning how to to use that and not get caught in the weeds and not get you know, so bogged down that you can't do anything. It's, I don't know, medical education is wild. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I've done, I do a lot of tutoring and what I find time and time again is people getting so bogged down in those reviews, right? Okay, they they want to understand why, you know, you have a stroke in the MCA, why you get left-sided symptoms for a right-sided lesion, right? They They go down rabbit holes and they will spend literally hours on one concept of one part of one question instead of taking one piece of information from that question being like, okay, I understand this. I'm going to pull this piece of information and I'm going to move on to other practice questions. And you have to hope and trust that that concept is going to come together on its own while you go through different practice questions. And while you go through and learn more and more concepts, it's all going to come together. You just have to trust that 
you don't need to know everything right now and you don't need to go down a rabbit hole. For sure. And like that was one of the things that helped me. I guess I realized for after step one into step two was that, you know, if I learned this one fact, a single fact from one question, you know, every single time I'd miss a question on UWorld during Dedicated, I made one flashcard for it. And if I could learn that one fact, then the next time I got a question on heart failure, well, I already missed one question on heart failure. And I know this one fact. Well, that's one of the answer choices. Well, it's not this question. So it can't be that answer. Okay, so it's now one of four. So maybe I missed the question again. I learned another fact about heart failure. Well, now I know two things that I missed. So next heart failure question, those two things are answers B and C. Well, I know it can't be those. So it's got to be either A, D, or E. And so you start picking up these facts and you start using this process of elimination to get to an answer. You may not know the answer, but you know it's not A, B, or C, so it's got to be D or E. There was, I mean, a question on my, I think it was step one or step two. It was some enzyme I've never heard of. I mean, just completely outlandishly wild. But I knew that it wasn't the other four enzymes they gave me because I'd missed questions on those. So it had to be that one. But, you know, picked it. Even though you had no idea what it was. Yep, never heard of it. <laughs> so I ended up getting out of like my session of the test, looking it up and like, sure enough, it was that one. It was just solely based oh on process of elimination. So a little bit of mix of, you know, Anki, we've got some practice questions, but then making sure that you are intentionally doing your practice questions and learning these little test taking strategies along the way, like process of elimination. I just talked about on my Instagram not too long ago about how I'm a big proponent for subject organized practice tests because of what you were just talking about, right? Like if you're doing a test on heart failure and you get back to back questions on heart failure, then you start to piece together different differential diagnoses, different components within the pathology of heart failure, because that's such a broad subject that you can really zone in and start to make these connections a lot faster than if you saw a question last week about heart failure, and now you're seeing one today, and you're just kind of like, maybe, maybe not. Anyway, what do you think? So I was on, I was in the opposite boat. I did completely random. I know. <laughs> and going, looking back now, I don't know if I would do it differently. I may. I mean, it makes total sense to do it subject-wise. Um, you know, you're learning, You let's say you read about pathology of heart failure. Do questions on pathology of heart failure. It makes total sense to me. Yeah. But my mentor just said, do random, do timed, and do 40 question blocks, just like you're going to do on the real thing. So I was like, sure. I blindly followed, and it led me to a great place, which is good. Um, I don't know if it's necessarily the best uh strategy all the time. Yeah. <laughs> but I was I was under the impression of, okay, I'm going to make this thing as realistic as possible. I know my test is going to be 40 questions random. Sure. Um, let's just make it happen. And that's something that you told me really early on when I was freaking out about step one. You were like, study like it's the real thing. Go in, especially when you're getting close to your test date, have your snacks ready, like eat the same thing, right? Mm-hmm. I remember you telling me. I like, still do that. Yeah, right. <laughs> I just took Absite this a uh, couple months ago. And I, I mean, I got my blue bang energy drink that I drank before every single board exam. I got my two chocolate chip cliff bars <laughs> that I ate before every single board exam. I would do like a hundred questions and I'd go outside, take a walk and eat a cliff bar and drink some energy drink. It's like I followed the same pattern. I get the same Subway sandwich whenever I go take a oh board my exam. Gosh. Like, it's to the like it's excessively obsessive. 
I mean, I wore the same sweatshirt every day of dedicated and I wore that sweatshirt. I made sure to wear that sweatshirt on my real test day. Yep, I have a test taking shirt that I've worn in every exam uh, from undergrad on. That's how it goes. <laughs> yep. I wear jeans and I wear my test taking shirt and I eat the same snacks and food. Nice. Nice. So anything else you want to talk about like uh, didactics or boards or anything like that? I think that we covered everything. No, I mean, honestly, I've gone through a lot and you have my, the information of how I did stuff. So if anybody has questions, I mean, I'm more than happy to like, at least send my write-ups and stuff to people. I mean, I'm not sure how relevant they are now because um, they're getting a little old. Most of what I suggest for people and like what I send them is all stuff that I modeled after what you did, what Morgan did, or if it didn't come from you, then it came from like Ashley Hamadi. It that's another thing that I loved about DCOM, just to bring back like full circle what we were talking about earlier, was how collaborative DCOM was. I felt like no one was fighting for like, oh, that Anki is, is mine. You can't have my Anki. Like, like no, okay, you passed down your Anki to, to me and to everybody else. And then we could do with it what we wanted. And then I passed it down to the class below me. And it, it, it keeps getting passed down so yeah i mean it's it was a great place you know it was there was no stereotypical gunners which was uh really nice you know no one was out there trying to like actively go for blood (laughs) which was much appreciated so this is a fun fact but when i started medical school like i said before i had no idea what medical school was like or anything like that i didn't know what a gunner was and you were on the tour that I was at and people were talking about Gunner and your name is Gunner. And so I was just like, oh, they're just talking about Gunner. Why are they poking so much fun at him? Like, I get he's smart, but like, what? That's funny. <laughs> so it's just like a That's fun awesome. story. I didn't realize I was giving you a tour. That's so funny. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so getting back to like surgery in your life now, because you're a surgery PGY1, how is intern year going for you? Intern year is chaos, but it's so much fun. It is absolutely wild. Um, I mean, the stuff that we get to do, the cases we're doing, the autonomy they give us, but the responsibility that keeps getting added to it, it's, it's hard to explain until you live it. Just for like an example, so I started my, uh, my PGY one year in the surgical ICU. And so I went from not being a doctor one day to being a doctor of some of the sickest patients in the hospital. And... I mean, within a week, I had put in multiple central lines. I was doing things. I was in the operating room on day three doing cardiac massage on a trauma patient. Oh, my gosh. It was, you go from, like, nothing to, oh, here you go. You go f- you go from even less than a medical student. Like, right now, I am the dumbest version of myself, right? Like, I... Uh, I feel that. I know nothing, and I'm about to be yeah. in, the, in the MICU on July 1st taking care of some mm-hmm. of the sickest people in the hospital. Like give me the, give me all of the words of wisdom. <laughs> yeah. So they know that you have no idea what's going on. Like they, so you're completely watched. So they always say like, you know, you shouldn't go to a public hospital on July 1st. Cause that's when all the new residents start. No, that's actually probably when you want to go. Cause we are getting watched like Hawks. I mean, we can't even like put in Tylenol. That's so funny that you say that because I literally was talking with Dr. Harrow last week, um, who's been on my show numerous times, and he told me that exact same thing after we stopped recording. And that I told him, I was like, I'm going to bring that up. And I love that you just said it because I was always told July 1st is the worst day to be in the hospital. But like you said, it's literally the opposite. Oh, yeah. No, we are getting watched like hawks. Actually, the worst day is February 1st because that's when like 
we start getting confident in ourselves. Oh, right, right. The attending start getting confident in us. And then we're like, oh, we can do this. And then we start doing stuff and we start getting in trouble. <laughs> um, that's why, like, if you look on Reddit, like, February intern is a thing. And it is a real thing. Oh, my gosh. But, no, July 1st, I mean, you walk in and you're like, oh, my gosh, what am I doing? And if, you, if you've ever watched the show Scrubs. Yeah. The very, before July 1st, uh, watch the first episode of Scrubs. Mm-hmm. Because it is 100% what happens. You like walk in and all of a sudden they start asking you questions about things. And you're like, ma'am, I don't even know what drug you're talking about because you're using brand names. And I know it by not brand names. So I'm going to have to go to Google and figure out what you're talking about. Or they'll like hand you an EKG and be like, well, what's it say? And I'm like, I have no idea. There's P waves here somewhere. Like this looks okay. But like ask an adult, please. Right? That's how you you feel like a child. On my last rotation two months ago, I was on pulmonology and like, I'm a fourth year medical student. I should know what the heck, how to read a chest x-ray. A nurse walks up to me with a photo of a chest x-ray on her phone. And she's like, what is going on in this chest x-ray? Please help me. And I'm like, ma'am, I am not a doctor. And I like remember thinking to myself, like, this is one of the last times that I'm going to be able to use that as my excuse. But like, I did not know what was going on. No. And Honestly, you won't. Like when you first start, you're sitting there and you are just, you're completely help, helpless. Like you just, you have no idea what's going on. You don't even know how to, because you go from never dosing a medication to saying, oh yeah, this person needs, you know, rocephinoflagyl to, hey, what's the dose of rocephinoflagyl? You're like, I have no idea. I've never seen that. And so you go from that, you know, you have to look at everything. You're ordering labs, you're interpreting labs, and you kind of done it in med school. But not to the level of like, now you're signing your name on it and saying, okay, I'm going to give this medicine to somebody. If something happens, it's on me. It is on your attending and your senior too, but you know, you're the one who prescribes it. And it's, you know, when you see your first prescription that's got your name on it and you're like, whoa, um, that's a little, you know, concerning. Um, so it's, it's really weird. Um, and, but also <laughs> you learn so fast in intern year. I mean, the learning curve is so steep but also you excel so fast i don't even know how to describe it other than you know my first week in the you know the surgical icu i'm seeing like three or four patients and it's taking me all day to do their notes all day to do their stuff i have no idea what's going on and by week three you know i'm carrying half the service you know nine or so patients by myself coming up with plans on them, putting in lines, doing things, running down to the trauma bay, helping out with traumas, going to the operating room. And by two or three months in, you're in the operating room and you're actually like helping with laparoscopic surgery. You know, they're giving you graspers, you're helping do things. You're, you know, you actually understand the process of what's going on. And, you know, you don't learn how to do that as a medical student because you don't get to do that. And then all of a sudden, when they put you in the situation where it's trial by fire, like sink or swim, like you're going to either learn or not, you will learn. And it's so much fun. Every day is like very hard and I go home and I'm exhausted, but it's so fun to like actually go in and every day and be like, yeah, I can do this and I can go change someone's life. And it's me. You know, yeah, my seniors and my attending are helping, but I'm the one who's like mm-hmm. actually doing stuff. They're preparing me to be that, you know, senior and attending. It's awesome. It's so fun. I heard you mention that, you know, it's exhausting. And whenever you think of surgical residency, at least for me, I'm like, that sounds like the most intense residency. It sounds like those people never sleep. They have to fudge their hours. Are you finding time to sleep, I guess, is my question. 
Yep. I do find time to sleep. Um, but you just have to be, you know, deliberate in what you do. And so you have to kind of cut out the the stuff that's not important and put in the stuff that is important. And so me and Kayla got married in June. So, you know, one of the things we really worked on was you know, spending time with each other. So we do try to, you know, eat dinner together. So that's one of those like non-negotiable things that if we can, we eat dinner together. Well, you know, that may cut in the time, you know, working out or going on a run. Whereas someone else who, you know, is very into fitness may say, okay, well, instead of reading 10 pages a night, I'm only going to read five, but I'm going to give myself some extra time at the gym. Yeah. So it's, it's really just a balance of what matters to you. And regardless of what residency you do, you're going to be tired. Yeah. It's just how tired can you deal with, I guess. <laughs> um, so I don't require a lot of sleep. I go to sleep at like 11. I get up at like 4.45 or 5. Um, it's just, I've always done that. Mm-hmm. I'm just, I go to sleep late. I wake up early. Where Kayla needs a little bit more sleep. So she may go to sleep a little earlier than I do. Wake up, you know, five o'clock or so. But it's just kind of getting into your rhythm and it gets easier. But yeah, it's it's a lot. Um, there are days where you know, I'm getting in before five and there's days where I'm not leaving until after seven or eight. And it's just some days it happens. Residency is not a forever thing. It's a good point. And one of the things one of my chiefs talked to me about before everything started was that you have five years here you that's that's it as soon as five years is done unless you do a fellowship you're on your own so you need to soak in as much in that five years as you physically can because these are the only years that you're going to have someone who you can ask questions to you can you can make a mistake and someone's there to catch you because as soon as you're out in the real world that doesn't happen so yeah you may spend a little bit extra time but enjoy that time and learn something and it's like okay well sure like okay what's an extra hour sometimes would i rather be home Especially when you put it like that, I I think about that a lot. You know, um, you said surgery residency is five years. If you don't do a fellowship, neurology residency is four years. That's actually not that much time. Like when you really think about it to say, okay, I have five years of someone holding my hand when I need it. No. And then after that, no one's going to be there to hold your hand. Um, That is scary. Yep. And one of the other things that they, you know, our chiefs had told us and you know, it, it's kind of the motto of our intern class now, but you know, at the very beginning, our chief said, if it makes your life more difficult, it's probably the right thing to do. And if we kind of just tried to live by that motto, where it's like, okay, console comes in at 5.58, you know, you're off at six, you know, like, man, can I just like pawn this off on the night team, pretend I didn't get it? And it's like, that's not the right thing to do. I got to just, I got to go do it. And you yeah. know, it's those consults that kind of teach you how to actually be a doctor. They teach you how to make decisions, how to be effective with your time, and like also just how to be a better person. There's days where those those consults are something that, you know, is the right thing to do, but it's really freaking hard. And you just have to do it. But those are the days when you go home like really satisfied with what you do. Um, even though it irks you down to your core that you're doing it at the time. But no, intern year is unlike anything I've ever experienced. I don't necessarily know if I actively choose to do it again but I wouldn't like say no if that makes sense well I'm glad that you're having so much fun and you alluded to you know you just got married congratulations again thank you um that's amazing and she is also a doctor she graduated with you and you guys couples matched which is so unique and I 
just wanted to talk about couples match for a second. So the past 2023 match was actually one of the worst outcomes for couples matching, unfortunately, within the past decade. Um, So many more couples this past year did not get their first choice. They went lower and lower on their list than ever before. And then a lot of them had to end up soaping. So do you have any tips or words of wisdom about couples matching that you want to share? Yeah, couples matching is brutal. It's so hard. It was quite possibly the most stressful experience that I've ever gone through in my entire life. Yeah, it's, it is, I mean, the match itself is stressful. (laughs) Um, And then you kind of add on this whole extra layer because essentially, so the match works when a program ranks you, you rank a program, and then the combination of you and that program is met into a way where they wanted you, you wanted them, and it kind of matches you. Couples matches works the same thing, except if let's say a program really likes me, but they didn't like my spouse. Well, they may be our number one, but because they didn't rank her, no matter how high I rank them or how many times I put them on my list, I can never be there. And that combination will be completely wiped out. Yeah. So it's this dichotomy of you have to pick where you want to go, but you also have to pick where you think you can go and how to like balance this this crazy game because if you don't put the combination of that's correct like if you don't put a place that picks you both or a combination of places that pick you then you go unmatched and so it's it's very hard but it was absolutely worth it i mean we're in the same place you know we're in a place we like so it worked for us i know it didn't work for a lot of people which is terrifying but kind of one of the things that we did that really helped us out was when you know when i would get an interview at a place that kayla hadn't gotten an interview at yet we actually formatted an email template with our information and said, Hey, I would love to take this interview from, uh, at your program. By the way, I'm couples matching. Here's my partner's information. Here's the program that they're applying to. Here's the program coordinator of that program's information. How can we make this happen so that we can both end up here? And we got a couple of interviews that way of just straight up emailing back and just saying, Hey, can you help us? Hmm, That's such a good tip. And she's not in surgery. She's doing pediatrics. Pediatrics, yep. And so there was a couple times where she would get an interview and they'd give me an interview. I'd get an interview. They'd give her an interview. And so we'd play this game. Now, some places didn't. And so at that point, like if they weren't going to offer her an interview or they weren't going to offer me an interview, we'd just drop the interview. Yeah, why bother? And so then the other thing we did is we set a distance limit. We said, okay, you know, the furthest we want to be away from each other, absolute maximum is three hours. After we had done all our interviews, we took every single location and found out everywhere within three hours of each other. And we ranked all those combinations. And so we ranked from living together to living close together to having to travel. That's a really smart way of going about it. And I bet that that took a lot of communication on both of you guys' parts to be like, yeah, this program didn't like me or this program really liked me. Try to do an audition there something like that. Yep. And it was hard. I mean... Because essentially, you're, for us at least, our top five or six programs, we both liked. We were like, okay, we'd be great at any of these. Our bottom programs were like, absolutely, this is our bottom of the barrel. Like, we do not want to be here. Yeah. The middle programs were hard because it was like, wow, I really, really love this program. And you know, she was like, oh, I don't know. I didn't necessarily like it and vice versa. It's like, how do you quantify one person's happiness? Yeah. And, you know, also like, you know, my idea of what I'm looking for in a program is different from what she's looking for in a program. And how do you like quantify, okay, well, this is a level two trauma center, but they have a standalone children's hospital. 
you know, something she wanted, but I wanted a level one center. So like, would it be better to be there or at this place that's the opposite? You know, how do you, how do you figure that out? Yeah. It was stressful. Um, <laughs> uh, I, yeah, it's, it's brutal, but it was, you know, it was good. I'm, I'm glad we did it. I don't regret it at all, but I think it took some years off my life. It was, it was a little tough. I bet. Yeah. I had a couple of friends going through it last year and they ended up at the same hospital, which is really great. Or like within 20 minutes away from one another, which is great. But what they, they also encountered the same problem where she would really like one hospital, but he was going into a different, you know, field than her and having to have that conversation of like, I don't like that hospital, even though you do. I feel like that could drive a wedge between any couple. Oh, absolutely. It's so having strong communication is absolutely key. It's so hard. Um, it's that's one of the things I guess I'll bring up is when we looked for programs initially, you know, we had all these demands, you know, we, had, we made this like, okay, I want this, 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 you know, I wanted a level one trauma center. She wanted to stand with children's hospital. And, you know, that was all fine and great. And then we started going to these interviews and we're like, well, all of them have their pros and cons and all of them are accredited. You know, in the end, in three years, she's going to graduate from pediatric residency and five, I'm going to graduate from surgery residency, regardless of whether I'm at a small program or a big program, you know, a academic or a community, like and you're going to get trained. You may get trained a little bit different, but you're going to get trained. Yeah. So our mentality switched from all of these things that we wanted to Okay, where would we be happy? You know, would I rather be in South Carolina, you know, close enough to the beach where I can go to the beach? Or would I rather be in, let's say, University of Kentucky, where there's, you know, the Bourbon Trail, there's horses, like open land? Would I rather be down in Florida where, you know, it's warm? Like, and finding that, where do we just want to be? And our mentality shifted from, okay, where do we want to train with what things to, when we have an off day, where would we be happy at? And so then our whole mentality shifted and uh, that's ended up kind of how we made our list was yes or no, would we be happier at program A or B? Okay, sure. This location's better. You know, oh, the perks here sound a little bit nicer. Oh, we really vibe with the residents here Um, rather than, oh, you know, this is a big prestigious program. You know, they have all these things, you know, they put out all these fantastic surgeons. Yeah, but their residents are miserable. They, you know, they don't know what to do. Like, they don't know where to go get a drink. They don't know where to go get food because they're working all the time. Well, right. That would suck. Yeah. So I, and now you're talking about like how you ranked your rank list. And I think that this goes for anybody, whether your couple's matching or not, you know, you listed a lot of great criteria, like location, prestige, the vibe, the vibe was the biggest thing for me. Um, absolutely. And that you can really only get from doing an audition rotation, in my opinion, because it's so easy to, mm-hmm. to kind of put up a front via zoom on like how much they, they hang out and stuff like that. So if you can do a second look or go to an audition, hundred percent do it. Absolutely. Um, but for you, you know, you also brought up location and I think that that's something that not a lot of people think about. And that's something that I struggled with. I struggled with okay, am I going to sacrifice the vibe and the location for prestige? That was the biggest question that I had to answer for myself. Not that UF isn't like a – it's such a prestigious program, but, I mean, I had 
I had other offers that were like more prestigious and having that conversation with yourself is really important. Well, for me, like one of the, so I did a, an away rotation at this program and I remember them telling me the first day of the rotation, like, Hey, we've never interviewed a DO. So like, don't get your hopes up. Oh my gosh. So I had spent all this money to go to a away rotation. I'd done all this stuff. And then they tell me on day one, like, you're not getting an interview. And I'm like, okay, like, this is great. Like, sure. Well, I was like, I'm like, I don't know what else to do. And so, you know, Kayla was down there too. And we were doing, she was doing a away rotation too. And I was like, okay, well, we've already spent the money. We're here. I literally was just like, I'm going to use this time to practice and just, you know, I'm going to go to the OR as much as I can. I'm going to do as much as they'll let me do. And I'm not getting an interview. So when they tell me to leave, I'm leaving. You know, if they tell me to take the weekend off, I'm not coming back. Yeah. And I just like hung out, honestly. Well, turns out I end up getting an interview 12 hours before their last interview day. They're like, hey, we have one spot left. Do you want it? And I'm like, yeah, let's do it. And, you know, very, I mean, big program, one of the biggest surgery programs in the country. And they ended up, I talked to the residents throughout that month that I was there. And I'm like, well, where should I go to the bar tonight? Because I want to go get a drink. And they're like, I have no idea. Like, what do you mean? They're like, well, we don't have time. Oh my God, that's so sad. So where do you get like food? And they're like, we just do takeout to the hotel we live in because they split us between multiple sites throughout the year and we never actually stay in one program. So like, I have a house in this city, but I'm in this city for two or three months out of the year. I'm in this city for another two or three months out of the year. And I'm like, that sounds horrible. You don't have time for fun. You don't have time to like establish yourself. You're bouncing around from all these places. I like, I don't know if I want that and so you know I ended up ranking them really low but it was like you know it was so weird to me that from my understanding I was the first DO to get an interview there yeah and it was this very big prestigious program but it was like I'm not doing that I want to actually like I know residency is gonna be hard but I don't want to like hate residency I want to at least have a little bit of fun yeah but like when I went to visit the program I'm at like I messaged one of the residents who's a decom grad he was a three last year to four this year and I said hey you know can I come meet you? I just want to like see the city and I'm coming in town. Like, you know, can we meet up? And he goes, yeah, let's go grab a beer. Told me to meet him at this one downtown place. We got a beer. I met his wife. I met some of the other residents. We hung out. We walked downtown. They showed me the area. They showed me the hospital. It was like, and there was like four or five residents that were just off on a Saturday all hanging out. I'm like, just a stark contrast between that other program. Yeah. And they seemed happy. And they like, I would follow their Instagram page and they're having get togethers and hanging out with each other and watching football games. And I'm like, that's where I want to be. Like, I want to be yeah. with those people. Like, that that's more me rather than just not having fun. You know, going back to when you went to this audition rotation, you still made the most of it, even though you, you had the impression, I'm not going to get the interview. It's funny that you said that. The, almost a very similar thing happened to me during one of my auditions. It was one of my very first ones. I had to travel really far to get there. I had to drive like an hour per day. The second day that I'm there, I'm there with three other students. Two of those students are DO students that are doing the audition, and one was an MD student. And we were all kind of talking about whether or not we've gotten an interview invitation yet. The MD student was like, yeah, I got mine two weeks ago or whatever. And all of us DO students hadn't gotten any. And, you know, I started to think maybe this, maybe I'm overthinking this. Maybe this is a coincidence. And the more and more that I learned about the program, the more I was like, I don't think that this is a coincidence. And then one week before I was supposed to be done with a rotation in general, I got a decline letter. It was my only decline letter, okay? 
I was pissed and I was sick too. So I was like on my deathbed, I get this letter from this program that clearly hates Dio's and hates me enough to, to send me a decline letter while I'm rotating on their service. Mm-hmm. I was so over it. And then I went in, you know, off my deathbed. I went yep. in anyway, you know, tried to make the most of my last week. And then I got a, an inter- an interview invitation on my last day. And I'm just like scratching my head. Like, what do you, so many mixed messages. And so I did not rank them very highly at all, obviously. Like we talked about a little bit earlier, it's just the vibe of programs. And you will, like, you find the vibe of your program. When you're doing your interviews and you're doing your aways, like, it's very evident whether you're going to vibe with them or not. And it's just, yeah, it's wild. Crazy. Well, we've been talking for so long. I'm, like, already, like, wow, we are not going to get to everything. Um, so I want to ask you kind of, like, a a editorial kind of question. So along the lines of the match, um, last year, surgery saw a dramatic increase in unfilled positions, which I'm sure that you're aware of. Uh, it had over 500 unfilled positions at the end of the main match before the soap. And it's all speculation, of course, like why I'm asking this question, but why do you think that happened? So the surgery match is a little interesting every year regardless because there's two different sides of the surgery match there's the categorical and there's the preliminary side of it so believe it or not every year the programs actually build in a bunch of prelim spots that are meant to go unfilled because normally like the categorical match will go they'll match like 99 or 98 percent of people it's the prelim match that kind of drops the the numbers a little bit so basically what the prelim match is there for is, is to catch all the people who tried to either apply surgery or some other specialty that requires a surgical prelim here and then get them a spot before they can either try again for categorical or go somewhere else. Now, a lot of programs and some of the bigger programs, you know, big academic centers will have seven, eight categorical surgical residents, but then they'll have like 12 to 15 prelim surgical residents. And, you know, it's just to essentially have enough people to cover the services, have enough interns to do notes, have it's, and also get people the opportunity to get that experience so that they can go on and do something else the next year. So it's very skewed. And I was super confused about it too. I remember in uh, first year of med school, I looked at medical college or medical university of South Carolina and they had like 20 interns. I was like, but they only had like seven or eight second years. And so I went to Dr. Whiting and I'm like, Dr. Whiting, I'm so confused. If I went there, would I have to compete with these 20 people to get one of the eight spots? Because if so, like it's going to be like a brawl. Like we were going to like fight for an entire year. And he goes, oh no. And he goes, they're prelim spots. And he goes, some of them will go to radiology. Some of them will go to dermatology. Some will do X, Y, Z. And so, you know, that's super confusing. That not a lot of people until you start going through it and looking at it understand. But, uh, you know, in terms of like the speculation of the career field of surgery in general, it's one of those fields that I don't think is going to, it's, you're always looking for a surgeon. Small town, small communities are looking for a surgeon. Big communities are looking for surgeons. It's like everything. There's a shortage of almost every physician out there. I think the only one that is right now speculated to be overrun is emergency medicine. Which they also went super on like lots of unfilled. So yeah. Um, so that one's a little weird. I don't know much about that one, but what I can tell you is that regardless of what specialty you're going into, there's going to be a job there for you. From what I've heard, you know, they, the field is looking good. Um, just got to stay looking good for like four more years <laughs> until I'm looking for a job. Exactly. Are you planning on doing a fellowship? Thinking about it. I go back and forth every day. 
it would be fun. Yeah. But part of me wants to just go and, you know, be a general surgeon, start making money and start. How early do you guys have to apply for fellowships? Depends on the fellowship. So some of them match during their fourth year. Um, some will match during their fifth year. Um, right now, I guess if I had to lean, I'd lead towards trauma clinical care. Cool. But I don't know. We'll find out. Yeah, you have time. You definitely have time. So we've been chatting for quite some time. So I think I'm just going to skip down to the final recs. So this is the segment of the show that I call final recs. So like while we're signing off of this episode, you are going to send our listeners with something that you really love that you would like to recommend to them. This can be a book, a movie or game. It could be medicine or non-medicine related just something that you really enjoy and that you hope other people can enjoy as well. So take it away. Yeah. So I guess my final rec would be, uh, it kind of relates back to your applications and stuff for residency, but find a hobby in medical school or, uh, you know, improve a hobby that you had before medical school while you're in medical school, because on your residency application, there is a section for hobbies. And every single interview I did, asked me about my hobbies. And so I love to bake and cook. That is like, if I'm having a bad day, I come home, I cook, I bake, I make sourdough bread. And so I put on my hobbies making sourdough bread. And so there was one interview. Very specific. Very specific. Um, I have a starter that I've kept alive for since COVID. His name is Steve and he's still alive. (laughs) Um, But one of my interviews was 20 minutes of me and this attending exchanging bread recipes for like 20 minutes like we talked about like our hydration concentration so like that was it like we didn't talk about medicine and (laughs) but everyone I talked to who had a hobby that they put on there yeah it was asked about so if you play like you know classical guitar or you're in a punk rock band or you love to play League of Legends or whatever like put it on your hobbies and be able to talk about it because it shows that you're like a real person and you're not just some robot who sits there and reads case reports. And honestly, it kept me sane. Yeah. You know, I would come home, I'd have a bad day, I'd cook, or I'd look up recipes, or I would, you know, try to make a new recipe or whatever the case may be, but it kept me sane and it helped me out. So do something, learn a hobby. And, you know, if you're a first or second year, learn it now so you can actually start talking about it by your time for your interviews. It will pay dividends. That is such good advice. I also had a whole interview where I talked about paddleboarding with a faculty member, and we just went back and forth yes. about like different boards, different places that we've been to in Central Florida. Um, and then also, I I had the same you know question that was like, "What do you like to do?" And that is such a broad topic. So like, just realizing what you like to do now, and it can be as something as silly as. I love watching trash television. I had interviews where all we talked about was Bachelor, Love is Blind, uh, White Lotus was really big when I was going through my interviews. And so I just talked about White Lotus with program directors and it was great. Oh yeah. And you know, one of the things that they look for, uh, because I helped with some of our residency uh, screening stuff. And one of the things they looked at was like extracurriculars and just there was always a section for interesting things about this person. And so if you love, I don't know, let's say you love going on runs and you're a marathon runner and you run 26 marathons, well, put that in there. And, you know, because when you read it, somebody's like, wow, you know, I run too. Yeah. This person's run a bunch of marathons. Wow, this person would be kind of fun to talk to. That may just be the one thing that gets the box checked. Because all you need is someone to say, like, I, I think we should interview this person. And if someone says that, like, they're going to give you a look. If you're really good at making pizza, and your program director actually loves to make pizza too, 
maybe just the, the one push to get you an interview. And then they realize that you're like a decent candidate. You're a good person. And once you get an interview, you know, the hard part's done. The best advice I got for interviews was just, they want to find out if you're the kind of person they'd want to scrub into a surgery with at two in the morning. Yeah. Like, are they going to be like, God, I don't want to scrub into this case because I have this resident. Or are they going to be like, Hey, this sucks, but at least I'm with him. It's going to be okay. I think that's such a good point for residency in general. You know, like if you're on call with somebody else, do you want to be on call with that person? Do you want to be spending 80 hours a week with this human being or would you rather not? I think that's a great question that they're probably asking themselves while they're interviewing us. Absolutely. All right. Well, any other like closing remarks? This has been a great chat. No, um, I'm just happy to be here. Happy you had me on. Like I've said, you know, if anybody has any questions or whatever, I'm I'm on social media. Reach out. Um, I'll help in any way I can. Um, I am an intern, like I said, so I'm busy, but I promise I will get back at some point. Um, I'm just, like I said, happy to be here and happy to be uh, on the show and happy that I was at least able to help you out during uh, med school. And I'll go ahead and put your Instagram handle in the show notes for anybody cool. who wants to follow you or reach out to you. As always, thank you so much for listening. You can follow on Instagram at dear.do.pod. You can visit my website, deardopod.com, for blog posts, guides, and you can actually anonymously ask all of your med school questions. Original music by Cologne, recording and production by yours truly, and I hope to see you here next time.